episode 15, and we're chatting with Kai Lenny all the way from Hawaii. Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. We were really excited about this guest. I think when we started, we, you know, we obviously respect and we love all of our guests because they're all outstanding. They're all passionate. They all spread the love of um, of stand up paddleboarding. But we had kind of secretly talked about a holy trinity, haven't we, Nick? About uh, of guests that we really wanted to get on the show. And uh, absolutely. And so, you know, one of them, obviously, Laird Hamilton. Uh, Dave Kalama being the other one, and Kai Lenny being the third. And uh, blow me down if we didn't manage to interview one within our first 15 episodes. So what was it like, Nick, talking to Kai Lenny? Well, I think the most amazing thing was that he said every Friday night, Laird and uh, Dave come around to his house for a barbecue, which is... (laughs) which just struck me as amazing. But he was such a fantastic guy to chat to. He really was amazing. And um, we had a few Skype difficulties in the end, but there was just some absolute nuggets there the whole the whole way through the um, conversation. It was, uh, it was fantastic to chat to him. Oh, superb. So brilliant. I mean, it, it's a really, really fascinating interview, the bits that we managed to, um, to capture. Um, so here it is, 30 minutes of quality chat, Nick chatting to Kai Lenny. Well, Kyle Lenny, welcome to SUP FM. It's great to have you on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked. Where are you at the moment? Sounds like you're in Europe somewhere. Yeah, so I just flew in from Hawaii, about a 36-hour trip to Barcelona. There's a World Series race uh, here in Barcelona, so basically here to do that and super excited about it. Oh, you must be exhausted after a 36-hour flight. Yeah, pretty tired, (laughs) I'll admit, for sure. It's a long trip from Hawaii, but... uh, you know, trying to not fall asleep right now because it's really tempting. <laughs> okay, well, I'll keep prodding you all the time just to hope you wake up. Okay, um, can we just get in a little bit of history? Because so, obviously you grew up in Maui in Hawaii. Uh, can you recall your first experience of stand-up paddle? Yeah, my first experience of stand-up paddle was when I was seven years old. And I think it was kind of before it was even a sport because I just saw Laird and uh, a few others do it. And one but a particular time it was Laird doing a downwind uh, coast run on Maui and it looked so bizarre because you'd never seen anybody do something like that before it just somebody standing on the water and going downwind it was really crazy and so I started doing it and uh, yeah all of a sudden I blinked and now it's a really big sport oh it's crazy isn't it yeah um, <laughs> but what was he doing it on in those days were you doing it on windsurfers or longboards or, or what were you guys using um, I was just using my longboard. I basically mm-hmm. was, uh, I was on my 8.0 longboard at the time and it must have been like 20 inches wide. And because I was so short when I was seven years old, I could just get away with like a traditional outrigger canoe paddle and it was like perfect height. So my set uh-huh. was actually pretty legit. <laughs> <laughs> and, but that must have been what, 1997 around then? Um, I- when I was seven years old, yeah, something like that. 
because I'm trying to figure out exact timeline when Laird Hamilton actually introduced it to Hawaii. Was I thought that was about 2004. Um. Well, I believe he started doing it around 1998 on Maui, and then. After he kind of got really into that, and it would only—I think it was only until like 2004 that the rest of the world caught on. You know, it was this kind of novelty sport on Maui and in Hawaii in general too, because there's a few guys doing it on Oahu um, and also Kauai. But it was kind of funny because it's like a novelty sport, and then all of a sudden it became its own sport. You know, it was still considered surfing, but. It was just, yeah, you just had a paddle in your hand. <laughs> and But Laird Hamilton, I mean, he's obviously one of the greats of all time. Did you just grow up around him? Yeah. Was he mates? Um... Before I was even conscious that I knew Laird, Laird knew me because he knew my parents. And um, I was lucky because a lot of the people that I knew and all my mentors, they all, uh, yeah, they were all there before I was even born. So I kind of grew up already knowing them. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. So who've been your most important mentors in your life? Um, my most important mentors have been guys like Laird, for example, Dave Kalama, Robbie Nash, um, Jerry Lopez, um, Derek Dorner. I've had so many amazing um, people to support me growing up over there. So it was like quite, you know, quite easy because um, I always had somebody to look up to in whichever discipline it was. But, I mean, those guys were definitely there, and they were close to me for sure. Yeah, I saw a video of you and, and Robbie Nash in the Antarctic or up in Alaska, I think it was. Are yeah. you still in contact with them on a regular basis? With Robbie? Yeah. Um. Yeah, because he's my sponsor, so I talk to him on the phone every day pretty much and see him all the time. and. Um, you know, when you grow up on Maui, especially, you know, since I that's kind of the place that I call home mostly, I mean, I see all these guys all the time. It's like it, it, it's like a regular occurrence because when my parents or I have a barbecue at our house, um, it's like it's, it's those guys come over. It's just like a normal <laughs> friendship. <laughs> that's crazy. Sitting here on the other side of the world, you know, we they all obviously got super stature, those guys. It's funny because um, like they're. They sure do, but at the same time, uh, you know, they're just normal guys as well, you know? They're just genuinely good people, and yeah, it's fun to, I guess, be around them, and and then, you know, of course, they are who they are because of what they've done, but it's pretty, it's pretty funny because, like, you just realize that they are just like everybody else except they have this um, gift or this talent that they have. Mm-hmm. Because uh, um, well, why did you not stick with surfing, for example, and how did you develop your skills in, in different sports as you grew up? Well, um, I never like not. I never stopped surfing. Um, still surf a bunch uh, every day, pretty much. And with all my sports, it's just what my competitive focus was. Windsurfing for a while there was my competitive focus, and now um you know stand up paddling is my competitive focus and that involves stand up wave riding and stand up racing so those are kind of yeah my competitive focus but in as far as like every single day when i'm home i'm basically surfing windsurfing kiting stand up paddling in the waves stand up racing basically doing whatever the conditions are best for so um you know i shortboard as much as any other young kid surfer from hawaii Okay. But so you don't lose focus. It's just basically what the conditions are, are doing for you at the time. 
Yeah, that's the whole thing. Um, I don't know. I, I've always felt like it's more fun to, uh, you know, switch things up and keep things fresh. I mean, they're all based around surfing. Every single sport that I do is based around surfing. And so, um, basically when I, uh, you know, get on the water, I just want to ride waves and, uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting because yeah like I feel like it helps me more when I do these other sports for when I get back into my competitive game because um, it keeps me fresh but then I can take things from surfing or windsurfing or kiting and apply them to my competitive prowess. Right. Okay. So with sup racing, I mean obviously you're in Barcelona for this race now for the um, the World Series. Um, are you totally focused on SUP this this year? And there's no and, and you are you competing in kite surfing as well, or is it just stand up paddle? Right now, my competitive focus is just stand up paddle, um, racing and wave riding. And uh, yeah, this is um, the first race of the year for the Stand Up World Series. Um, there's other races that have been going on, but this is the start of the kind of the tour, and it's gonna go out with a bang, I think, over here. Barcelona is beautiful, and it's gonna make for an insane race course. And also, the infrastructure of the event looks amazing. Ah, excellent. I hope you have some good conditions. I sure hope so. <laughs> so, out of the major four sub-disciplines like downwinding, touring, exploring, racing, surfing, what's your preference? Would you say? Oh well, for sure, always wave riding is my favorite. You know, riding waves is just—it's the ultimate. I, I don't think you could compare any part of the sport to riding, like, for example, a giant wave at Jaws. You know, it's just mm-hmm. the feeling and, uh, I guess, the moments you have doing it. It's just, it's really, like, untangible to and really hard to explain to most people because it's so unique and special. But, um, you know, as far as the sport goes and everything, I enjoy it all. But, uh, you know, riding waves is for sure my passion. But then also riding rivers and going downwind, it's all similar to surfing because you're moving across the surface of the water. It's just which one's more extreme than the other, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it can get pretty extreme down in, um, what's the channel called between Oahu and Molokai? Yeah, the uh, Kaivi channel, which is, yeah, Molokai to Oahu, is, that's a, a treacherous channel. And what Kaivi means in Hawaiian is the channel of bones. And so, uh, yeah, that's that'll give you a hint why it's so gnarly. Because I'm sure back yeah. in the day, a lot of people got lost out there. Uh, and you've done it what six times? Yeah, I think uh, seven actually now. Okay. And what do you when you're out there? And it's I, I know I think a couple of years ago it was just ragingly crazy conditions. What what do you think about out there? It must be insane. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's. It's insane um, every time I go out there because you just realize the power of, I guess, the ocean is just, it's so intense and it's so humbling. But, uh, you know, I've been out there so much that it's become kind of normal, which is really pretty cool. But at the same time, I was just recently out in that channel and I definitely realized that, you know, it's there's a lot of power moving out there and there's a lot of big fish too. It's the darkest, bluest water I've ever seen in my life, like... It's almost black. It's it's so. I don't even think you could call it purple or um, blue. It's more like a purple, but it's so. Why dark. is it? Yeah, it's it's just because it's so deep. That's all. You know, you're in the middle of the Pacific, um, in the Hawaiian Islands, and right there is just you know deep blue open Pacific waters, 
with who knows what's under the water there, you know? <laughs> Do you ever feel the urge to go and have a look or get some goggles on and go and see what's going on down under the water? Oh, all the time. I mean, every time mm-hmm. I'm out there, besides when I'm racing, you know, um, like when I'm racing for a race, obviously you don't want to take your time, but I've been <laughs> that so many times that I've been able to look down and see. And the last time I did it, I just did it for fun. And um, when I look, you know, look down, it's just like, ooh, yeah, there's some pretty big fish that are lurking down there because as soon as I got going again, two minutes later, I passed a huge tiger shark. So they're watching you. I don't know if you want to be swimming in that water for very long. Well, that was my next question. What kind of marine marine wildlife have you come up to? Um, have you come up against? For myself, you know, you can see massive manta rays that are just they're gigantic. I mean, it's like your it's like a massive rug in your living room. That's the surface area they cover. Um, but you know, also I've seen great whites, um, uh, tiger sharks, uh, dolphins. You see every kind of shark out there, every kind of fish out there. Just because it's so deep that a lot of them will come come up uh, from really deep down and reach the surface and say a friendly hello most of the time, just checking you out. Uh, uh, let's hope they keep it friendly. That's great. Yeah, yeah, as but long as it's friendly. I saw. I was watching something about the um, the Molokai race, and they were saying that people do it in relays as well. Yeah. Um, is that is that something which is fairly attainable by the average person in the street who can actually get on board and, and go and do it and experience it that way? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, they do that for the uh, the race in particular. If you want to do the race, that's kind of like I guess your intro to the race or to the channel is you take you go do it with a buddy or you go do it with you know two of your buddies and you can have a three team or whatever. And um, that's really fun because you can push each other across the channel and it's more of like overcoming the challenges of the channel and it's a good jump start to get into you know a solo run through it which is quite intimidating but at the same time it's really rewarding and fun at the very end um but the beauty of that channel too is you know whether you want to do it for the race or not you can do it on any given day at any time of the year if you if you'd like it's just open game out there but um the race is fun because you're just with 200 other people and then you quickly realize that as soon as you're out on the water, you look around 30 minutes later into the race and there's nobody around you. Everyone vanishes because the seas are so big, you just can't see anybody. Wow. So you must feel pretty alone. Um, yeah. You've, I mean, you're, you have to have an escort boat um, for the race. Uh, and for sure, though, it's, it's a lonely place out there because it's just – you, something goes wrong, you know, if you didn't have that escort boat, you're headed to Tahiti and I'm not sure you're getting back. <laughs> but I did, do you have a personal escort boat? Because obviously in a race like that, you must stretch out really quickly. Yeah. And separate out. Yeah. You definitely, you're, uh, you have to have your own escort boat. That's just part of the deal. So there's 200 boats going out there. Um, yeah. Wow. That's a lot of, a lot of people on the water. That, yeah. That, yeah. Um, and it, and, uh, I mean, it's it's full Waterworld if you've ever seen that movie. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I have seen Waterworld, yeah, with Kevin Costner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's get into the training. Um, but like for for example, for Barcelona, what does your offboard training look like, and how is it structured, or is it just are you just paddling all the time? Um, you know, it, it's a lot of gym workout as well. Um, but most of it's spent on the water, paddling and doing different types of paddling, like. 
I guess distance training as long as as well as uh, sprint training. But um, a lot of it's all supplemented from my other sports, from surfing, from windsurfing, from kiting. Um, I feel like those sports give me a little bit of an advantage in certain conditions um, from, you know, just those experiences that I have doing them. And, you know, it all everything kind of falls into place when uh, I always seem to do my best when I'm having fun. And when I'm having fun is when I'm surfing and doing these other sports along with doing all my stand up paddling. So how much gym time do you get in? Do you get in? Um, probably only like three hours a week, one hour, uh, one hour per day for three days, you know, and it just depends mm-hmm. on really it depends again what the conditions are doing, because if the surf's good. I'll opt not to go in the gym and I'll just push it back a day or, you know, I'll just reschedule my that type of training because I'll be getting similar training in the water surfing. But, you know, with the ocean, when the surf's good, you go. Sure. Yeah. What about paddle fit? Have you heard? I mean, you must have heard about the paddle fit movement and everyone's getting into paddle fit exercises and using the board as their own gym. Do you think that that's um, you could use that in your training regime or do you? Um, no, I don't at all, but, uh, I could see that it's probably pretty cool. You know, anything that I guess makes you feel like you're improving or you're, uh, you're feeling good is, is a great thing. And, um, what I'm doing now, I have kind of my system down to the wire the way I like it. And I think that's the trick is it's not really about copying what other people do, but finding what works for you. Cause we're all built different. We all, you know, we all basically, um, it's along with food as well. You know, what I eat isn't probably what your body would necessarily like and vice versa. So it's about finding, I guess, what works best for you. Um, and for me, I'm in such a good place with what I'm doing. I don't plan on adding any more stuff besides the stuff that I'm doing supplementing already. But, you know, the beauty of stand-up paddling is, you know, people are doing yoga on it. People are you know, going down rapids, people are doing all these different types of things with it, which is incredible because what other sport on the planet allows you to be so diverse, you know, and have people doing something that's so different from what you're doing. Mm, exactly. Absolutely. Just on the coaching, the, um, without, do you get really technical and do video, video, video analysis? and? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something that I for sure do. Um, I guess it's just really trying to figure out the nuances um, how how to paddle or how not to paddle or whatever and and video analysis it's just it's really clear data because you don't have to um, you don't have to rely on somebody else's word you could see it for yourself and know instantly you know even if that person's word is as valuable as anybody else's word in the planet it's just really nice um, to see for yourself because you could be like oh I instantly know what I need to change like what mm-hmm. I didn't even know I was doing that. So that's really, you know, helps out a lot. I mean, that part of the sport must have, the stroke technique must have advanced incredibly in the last few years, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, it's all constantly changing. And the cool thing about stand-up now, too, is if you notice, there's a lot of different people doing a lot of different, you know, types of paddling. Like, the way I paddle is for sure different than, you know, to the way Danny Ching or Dave Kalam or any of those other guys paddle, even though it's the... I guess the basic fundamentals are there. Um, I guess the little the little nuances of the stroke are different. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's different strokes for different folks. Yeah, yeah and I guess it's about, um, again, too, it's like everyone's trying to figure out how to go faster. 
And uh, well, the way I think to go faster is definitely different than, you know, a couple of the more old school paddlers think it is. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just basically, uh, I guess, adapting to your own body because my body's mm-hmm. definitely built different than everybody else's and theirs is built different than mine. So um, it, yeah, it's finding what works for you first and foremost. Sure. So how about this weekend? Who are you up against? Is Danny Ching there and Connor Baxter? Yeah, Connor is here, I believe. Um, I don't believe Danny Ching is here. Not exactly sure um, every like exactly who is here, but I know a lot of big names are here. So it should make the racing here quite fun. Well, definitely. We'll follow it at Supracer. Do you, do you use that website at all, Supracer? Um, yeah, every once in a while I'll go check the site out. It's really cool. You know, it's... I think we need more websites like that where, you know, there's good up-to-date information to, you know, get people excited about the sport. Yeah, I watched his coverage of the Carolinas Cup. It was fantastic. It was, uh, Christopher Barker is running around like mad. It was great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of work doing that job covering everything, you know? Especially mm, if you you know, if you're doing it like um if you're, you know, trying to get all angles of it and get all perspectives and everyone's like side of the story it would be i've seen him just run around events like like mad the whole time it's pretty cool so what about connor how how well do you get on with him oh well you know i think uh people forget but like you know pretty much grew up with connor on maui i was you know windsurfing with him and doing uh a lot of races against him since i was like seven years old and uh and so you know there's definitely that long time uh rivalry from there but uh you know yeah, I mean, I get along with Connor great. I don't know if um, his side of the story, but it's all been fun, you know. When you grow up on the same island, you kind of, you know, you have to get along with everybody because it's a small island and we call it Coconut Wireless where um, basically everybody kind of knows everything going on all at once, you know. You don't even need to yeah. talk on cell phones to know what's going on with the scene. Coconut Wireless, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, we call it the grapevine over here. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Yeah, um, because on the Battle of the Paddle, I think it was last year, the, the press, the stand-up paddle press, made a huge big thing about your interaction on the final wave coming in, you and Connor. What was that all about? Um, well, you know, that actually, there was a lot leading up to that because um, Connor's known for racing pretty rough. Um, he'll uh, definitely push the boundaries of the rules as far as he can. And a previous race when I was in Huntington Beach, you know, we were going for the world title, and um, most of the time when you get on a wave and everyone's on the wave, it's kind of gentleman's rules where you just kind of stand there and the race kind of starts back up once you, you know, the wave peters out or you get to a buoy, but everyone kind of relaxes. And he forced myself and a few guys off the wave, just kind of, you know, running into our boards. So sorry, so you're saying gentleman's rules on the wave, and then but he decided to take a few people out. Is that correct? Yeah, and it's just, it's all, you know, the, the classic saying is rubbing his race, which is fine. But, uh, you know, the, the another thing is, if, you know, don't expect to, um, you know, punch someone in the face if you're not going to, if you're not willing to get punched back. Um, <laughs> because, you know, basically, you know, I want to win just as bad as he does. But I like to win is, you know, clean and clear as possible, you know, not, you know, having to necessarily resort to taxic- tactics all the time um so but you know that's what happened and so you know he tried pushing a little bit too hard and battle the paddle and basically made me fall and i'm like hey you know if i'm falling you're coming with me 
we didn't affect anybody else, so it didn't really matter. And it was kind of interesting. It's just classic because, you know, the sport of stand-up is still so young, and there's so many people that like to dramatize a lot of things, um, a lot of these websites. So it's, it was just funny because it was like they made such a big deal over it, and it was really not that big of a deal. Again, we oh, they loved anybody. it. I just jumped on it. It's sensationalism. It's wonderful yeah it's just basically that whole tmz gossip stuff which is cool i guess people love that but uh definitely made my race i wouldn't have wanted it any other way because i basically got all the way back to 10th place and i had to work all the way back up to first to win and it was pretty gnarly but it was so much fun oh well done that's amazing result yeah but do you think um you briefly mentioned that stand-up paddling is getting so big do you think it'll be bigger than surfing ever you know, it definitely could be because um, the sport is, I don't think, I think the the idea of surfing, you know, that, that culture aspect will always be, you know, I think the largest, like um, what stand-up's going to do is it's going to bring surfing to the masses because stand-up paddling is surfing. It's just um, a, in a different form, you know, all you're doing is standing up on a board and paddling. And so people on lakes, rivers, um, any body of water, you know, if they don't have a wave, they can go surfing and they can get that sensation from paddling themselves across the water. And, um, I also look at stand up paddling as kind of the bicycle of the water, you know, the bike of the water. And, um, and it's, it's really cool. Cause I think for sure, maybe in the next 10 years, we'll see probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest water sport on the planet, cause it's so accessible to everybody. That's exactly what I was saying to my clients this morning. I'm saying this is like a bicycle on the water as we paddle through the cliffs of the Algarve. It was fantastic. I, I think that's an amazing analogy to use. It really is because bicycling obviously has grown radically here. And and I'm sure stand-up paddle could grow as fast as that. But um, quick yeah. question. What three things do you think the sport offers young people? Um, I think the this, this sport you know, it offers a lot of opportunity because um, the sport itself is so new. If you can get on it now, you know, really train hard and, you know, love it for the sport it is, you could really go far away with it. And too, it's the ultimate cross trainer for, you know, so many other types of wave riding, you know, in particular, you know, the best training in the world, I believe, for big wave surfing is stand-up paddling, stand-up paddle race training in particular. If you can stand-up paddle race train and really work hard and do some in the wintertime, you could pretty much just about handle any type of um, massive wave in the world. Kai, when your your first time at Jaws, I, I gather you were 16 and you went out on a foil board. Is that correct? Yeah, so I went on a foil board. I just got a call from Laird and Dave, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to go up to Jaws and you know go foil boarding?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course." And I asked permission from my parents, and um, you know the reason why I never got went out there earlier was because I was always waiting for I guess approval from my mentor, basically honoring that you know they thought I was ready. And so yeah, that's exactly what uh. I waited for for that call, and when I got it, I was more than stoked to go out there and experience it. So, was that the first time you ever foil boarded? No, I've I've been foil boarding since I was say around nine years old. So I've been foil boarding, you know, many years before. But uh, it was just interesting, and that's another reason why they called me to go up there because they knew I foiled. So I don't think you would take somebody foil boarding at Jaws for the very first time. It's asking <laughs> yeah. a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit, yeah. So, um, but now obviously at Jaws, it gets pretty big, right? It's one of the biggest waves in the world. So what do you do? Have you developed any techniques to deal with hold downs? 
basically, um, the only thing you can do is just take it like a man or, you know, take it like a really tough woman too. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's pretty gnarly because when you get out there and take a big wave on the head, you're completely out of control, you know, and you have to be willing to accept that under, you could barely get your arms and, you know, legs in, especially get your arms over your head. So if you get hit by your board or something, you know, it's pretty good chance the lights are out pretty quick. Um, and it's all out of your hands. Um, the best thing you could ever do in big waves, especially at Jaws, is remain calm. You know, just as calm as you can. And I almost go limp underwater with my body so I can conserve um, my oxygen. Because as soon as you start struggling or trying to panic, it just goes all worse. You know, you feel like you're just sinking deeper and deeper. And that's where we had to leave the interview because uh, our Skype just messed up. I'm not sure if all other podcasts have the same issues, but many seem to. So it was great chatting to Kyle Lenny, and we're just super thankful for the bits we got. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next week on SUP FM. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.